the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer, San Diego. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Fantastic to be together. In a few moments, we'll have a very interesting interview. Been looking forward to it for a while. Ambassador Woolsey. Ambassador Woolsey, of course, is a a man who has been around the American intelligence community. He has been around uh, the uh, uh, State Department community. R. James Woolsey. We'll talk with him about his new book, which is out just a week or so ago, Operation Dragon, Inside the Kremlin's Secret War in America. We'll talk with him. And after we spend a few moments with him, we'll touch base with Dr. Brett M. Decker. Dr. Decker, the New York Times bestselling author. Catch up on all that. And I'll finish today with a, at the last segment of the show, with a special tribute to Rush Limbaugh and what comes next. What comes next after Rush Limbaugh? Uh, will there be another Rush Limbaugh? Will it be, uh, you know, Jay Leno to Johnny Carson? Uh, the Jay Leno succeeding Johnny Carson. Of course, uh, then the Jay Leno lasted only a little while, did pretty well. Uh, and then I think it's been downhill since there. But we'll talk about all that and more. Great to be with you now. Today's segment, What You Need to Know, the opening segment. Let me first set you up. Remember, social media, you can track me down. Facebook Live is Ed Martin Live. Ed Martin live on Facebook. You can go Twitter at Eagle Ed Martin. I got the direct messages open over on Parlor and Gab. It's a, a, excuse me, Ed Martin at Ed Martin. All those places. And directly you can reach me. Text me directly. 314-256-1776. 314-256-1776. And also email directly ed at edmartinlive.com. All right. Please visit the pro no, ProAmericaReport.com and sign up for the Daily Wink. You'll get all of what I'm telling you in an email. It's grown to 80,000 uh, email addresses every morning, 8 a.m. East Coast time, 5 a.m. Pacific time. You'll get that email in your inbox. Gives you key thoughts for the day, some key links, and other things. Go to ProAmericaReport.com to sign up. All right, today's What You Need to Know. It's been a long weekend, and here we are. And I have to comment on Donald Trump's return to Trump Pack. Well, that's what I call CPAC, because whatever you think of CPAC, whatever you think of the Republican Party, there is only one Donald Trump. And frankly, since Rush Limbaugh's passing, he was the only other voice uh, of the stature of this of the size of the uh, of the humor uh, of the entertainment value of Donald Trump. And now it's Donald Trump, Donald J. Trump. He is the dominant figure. And CPAC speech was an indication of that. He's the same old, same old. He's the same guy. He says the same things that are politically incorrect and make the media go crazy. He talks about Mexico sends their bad hombres, sends their bad dudes, rapists and all that stuff. He does talks about all that. He doesn't he has not he has not changed. He has not changed his approach. He's not going to change his approach. And what he showed from the stage there at CPAC in Florida on Sunday afternoon was he is a master. He's a master communicator for the people that like him. They feel very strongly that he is on their side and he's a fighter for the people that don't like him. They feel very strongly that they don't like him. 
And both those things are true. He, he absolutely positively is the most charismatic person. Uh, you know, he just he carries himself in such a way. Again, some people are looking at him and they can't stand it, but they're looking at him and then millions and millions of others. And his CPAC speech, what I want, what you need to know today is his CPAC speech accomplished two very important and and very very important uh, uh, objectives whether he ever stated them or not whether he he even publicly admits them or not the first one is he solidified within the republican party his 74 million plus voters you know between just under 75 million people voted for donald trump officially uh, i call it the 74 million club echoing uh, goldwater had 26 million voters that voted for him there was actually buttons for a long time 26 million club. And then after Ronald Reagan, I think it was 54 million voted for him in 1980. So 74 million is a huge number, a huge number. And um, and but what one objective that Donald Trump did uh, on Sunday at CPAC was solidify that his people and he are in the Republican Party. He did it by saying there'll be no third party. He did it by teasing that he might run. And he did it by Trumpian style, whacking away at some of his opponents that have been publicly out there against him. And so he that was a very important objective that he did right there. He 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 needed to do that. He had been quiet for a long time and he made um he made that clear uh by by how he handled it and how it was perceived and even it's typical Trump actually. You got to understand he knows the show. He was what an hour late. The whole Sunday afternoon, the whole, the whole, all the 74 million for sure, you know, that community, but also the media and, and, and Twitter was waiting with bated breath, all the Twitter, the Twitter verse and everybody waiting, waiting here by being an hour plus minutes late. He held everybody. He, so he achieved that first objective. The second thing that he achieved, which is a little bit lesser understood, except you're listening to me. And so you know what you need to know. And that is this. He made clear that everybody else that's sort of wanting to run for president on the Republican side. I mean, they're not close to him. There's there's Trump and then far below him are other people, very talented people, by the way. I don't I don't agree with every one of their policies or anything else, but you can kick through. These are big league political talents, Nikki Haley and Mike Pompeo and uh, uh, Matt Gates and uh, and uh, Ron DeSantis and and Christy Nome, the governor of South Dakota, all these people. They're big league talents. These are talented, talented people. They were the drop off from Trump. <laughs> on the stage at CPAC and the others, it's like it's like um, you know it's like major a major league ball player going back to play with his uh, freshman the freshman team at his local at his own high school you know his alma mater goes back it's just they're still playing the same game it's just a different level and my point here is the second objective there's no one else if Trump wants to run for president he is the nominee. Well, we'll talk later about whether he can win. And my own opinion is if Biden, uh, if the contrast with Biden continues to grow so stark, you know, someone said, I heard a commentator say Biden is either doing what Trump did and, and getting, you know, having to swallow his pride and do what Trump did, or he's doing other stuff and not too well. So, for example, uh, on the on the Khashoggi murder, you know, uh, Trump did the same thing that Biden had to do, which is we didn't like it. But we can't pick a fight with everybody we don't like just because they act terribly. That's one of the realities. I mean, that's, that's what Biden says now. 
after all that. Or on the border, here's a contrast. Trump was trying to secure the border. Wasn't perfect, but it was certainly directionally more secure. Biden is saying, let's have a lot more uh, a lot more uh, of the uh, open border policies in terms of changing back some of the refugee policies and, and, and quote unquote catch and release. Well, by comparison, Trump looks good. But back to what you need to know today. On a CPAC stage in those couple of hours, Donald Trump, again, solidified his his role. It's the Trump Republican Party now, America first and all those policies. And there'll be battles in between that. There'll be people that disagree. But in general, he solidified his uh, his role as the leader the of the center right party in America. There's only two parties. Right now, there's one that's center right and there's one that says it's center left. It's actually really far left. And Trump set himself opposite that. And he showed all the same skills and all the stuff he does all the time. And the second thing he did, and you, what you need to know, again, to remind you, is that he he showed it's him. I mean, if he wants to be the presidential nominee, he will be the presidential nominee. It's hard to picture how he doesn't look like a really big favorite against whoever the Democrats put up. That's just what I'm seeing now. It's a long way off. And let's finish with this. What you did here. A little bit about, but I have to come circling back to it, is people, too many people in this country do not have confidence in our elections because of what happened in the fall. We must address that. Some of that will be with reforms. I can, you can hear that and see it. Necessary. Photo ID. Smart. President Trump said something I've been saying for a long time. We need an election day. I'm actually one of the people that would say, give it a, make it a holiday. Keep it a Tuesday. Make it a holiday. I don't mind. I think we have to get there. We need an election day, not an election season. And so that's that was a huge deal. But I would underscore with tens of millions of Americans, especially in the 74 million club, feeling like the system didn't work. It doesn't matter if the system did work. I'm not even arguing that the Constitution has dealt us with a president. We've got it. It's President Biden. It's not going to change, except what we have to do is worry about the confidence of the systems. And when I ran the Board of Elections in St. Louis, I tell you over and over again, you have to have two things, an election, and you have to do it all the time. Run a good system. People come up and knock on the door. and They say, can I sign up to register to vote? You got to do all the things to run a good election. It's hard work. But the second thing you've got to do is reach out and make people confident that their vote counts, whether they're poor, they're rich, they're moving, their languages uh, struggles because they're new immigrants, all those things. We did a ton of work with the Bosnian American community in St. Louis. That's what you need to know. Trump solidified his role, head of the Republican Party. He is the favorite in all those ways. And we'll see what happens. But... Only if we can instill in people the confidence that their vote counts. And again, Trump signaled at that, but there's a lot of work to do. All right, let's take a break. We'll talk, come back and talk, ba- excuse me, talk with Ambassador James Woolsey and then Dr. Brett M. Decker, the New York Times bestselling author, and a lot more. Ed Martin here on the Pro America Report. Be back in a moment. <laughs> Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Been looking forward to this interview I mentioned earlier for a a while. Our next guest is Ambassador R. James Woolsey, and his book, the new book out is Encounters from Encounter Books. We have some great books out in the last uh, year or so. I keep coming across one and talking about it. It's called Operation Dragon, Inside the Kremlin's Secret War on America. And so, uh, first of all, welcome, uh, Ambassador Woolsey. Thanks for taking some time to talk to us. Thank you. Good to be with you. 
Well, so before we get to the book, let me just uh, stop and pause and say, as much as uh, the intelligence community has taken, you know, uh, incoming in the last couple of years, it's kind of like a bunch of other institutions in the country. I kind of think of the churches as one of them. Even someone was telling this to someone, and they said Major League Baseball. Institutions have sort of people have less confidence and trust. Intelligence community certainly fits in that ranking. You were you straddled uh, and <laughs> led under Republicans, under Democrats. Uh, one of the unique positions, uh, having been through uh, the, both both parties' administrations. How do you restore that? How bad is that problem of, of uh, lack of confidence, and how do we restore it? Well, I think it's a serious problem. I'm not sure how much it has to do with political party. Uh, partisan politics is uh, in uh, Washington uh, these days, uh, entertainment, but uh, that's about it. Uh, but mm-hmm. I, um, I'm at a bit of a loss to say why I think uh, things are as sour as they are. Uh, but uh, but they're they're sour. <laughs> I guess, the, and the other question, the, the one part of it that you just said is the po- politics, uh, how you said it is po- politics is a good sport. I'm saying that now. But, you know, the media and, and now technology, big tech, that's what they love, right? They love the excitement of racing towards something and people click on it and they go, oh, wow. And then they, they come back again later because they're agitated. And it, 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 it feels, <laughs> I hate to say it, it feels like a death spiral. And I don't know how to break out of it either. And I, I wonder again, in your experience, having um, worked in, in intelligence before big tech and the media was so, I don't know, dominant or agitated. I, I mean, how do, where can we go from here? Well, if I had one uh, institution to say that I thought had a lot of responsibility for the, the mess, it would be the, the press, but um, certainly not exclusively the press. And a large part of the press is not us, but it's Russians and so forth. Uh, we have a, mm-hmm. uh, serious situation uh, uh, with uh, uh, interference in our processes, our dating, all sorts of things, uh, the, the voting system. Uh, and uh, uh, that is not, uh, a lot of it is not uh, created uh, uh, anywhere except in uh, uh, Moscow and and some in China, um, I'd say Russia yeah. and China. Yeah, we're talking with again. Let me and get, let's get to the book then. <clears throat> Excuse me. The the book is again. We're talking with uh, former CIA director R. James Woolsey, and he wrote this book with a former Romanian spy chief. <clears throat> you'll have excuse me. You'll have to make sure I pronounce it. Mihai Pachepa, but who defected to the United States in seventy. Thank you. And and and, uh, and he, he came in 1978 and they're writing about how uh, the Russia, uh, the force of the Soviets continues today in Russia. I guess you just mentioned China. That's got to be a factor. What what what's the what's the reason to read this book, to be afraid of Russia or to realize we're under assault in mo- on multiple fronts? Well, I think the other my other co-author would have wanted you to read it. He passed away five days ago. Uh, but mm, wow, I uh, uh, was a marvelous man, and he had a real sense of judgment about the East, let's call it uh, the communists. Uh, and uh, uh, at one point, uh, Carlos the Jackal uh, was uh, chasing him all uh, all over uh, Southern Europe, trying to kill him, and uh, and Mike <laughs> eluded him. Uh, so I, uh, I I was really delighted to be able to work with him on uh, on the book and i'm very sad uh, that that will be the last one 
And now, again, we're talking with uh, Ambassador uh, James Woolsey. And, and again, the book is called Operation Dragon. Encounter Books has it out. Uh, excuse me, Inside the Kremlin's Secret War in America. Is this really, uh, can we say this now? Um, and does this book establish it now solidly that the uh, KGB was behind the Kennedy assassination? Is that, can we definitively say that? Or are we still saying that's what we think? It's more complicated than that, um, not massively <laughs> so, but uh, somewhat. Uh, uh-huh. Oswald was a fanatic. He was uh, a very sad a little boy, uh, bad family situation. Everything was, uh, was a mess. And for him, uh, communism turned into kind of a salvation. Uh, he, uh, he wanted to, he spent some time, uh, uh, in Mexico, but working with, uh, the, uh, uh, communist groups. Uh, he, he was involved in a lot of activities of that sort and, uh, was, uh, always pressing to, uh, get, uh, things, uh, done, uh, in uh, such a way that, uh, uh Khrushchev could, uh, get, uh, Kennedy killed and, uh, and, uh, get credit for it mm. and he could help and get credit for it. Uh, that was kind of his mentality. Uh, what mm. basically happened is that Khrushchev, um, finally, finally woke up. And realized that if he continued to press for uh, killing of uh, Kennedy, uh, he was going to quite likely uh, cause a war, a nuclear war, even between America and Russia. And so he backed off and gave orders for everyone to to, to back off this previous policy they'd had. Uh, and uh, everybody did except one guy, Oswald. So the answer to whether Oswald killed Kennedy is... Uh, in large measure, yes, but um, he uh, uh, got started, pulled back, and then finally killed him uh, with his uh, with the sniper rifle, Maneker. Wow. It's um, again, we're talking with uh, Ambassador James Woolsey and uh, former head of the CIA. And he was a diplomat. He's a, worn a, a bunch of hats. And now his new book is called Operation Dragon Inside the Kremlin's Secret War on America, available from Encounter Books everywhere you get books. Um, is uh, it, it, I, I have been recently reading about and, and wondering because China came uh, communist the communist China came into our our world more more obviously in the last few years uh, for the, the the kind of way it's talked about and what we see when the Soviet Union was at its height and when they were infiltrating America and spies and all that. I mean, is it isn't it likely that the Chinese regime is doing the same thing now, maybe on steroids compared to, to Russia? I mean, the Chinese have all the have a lot of money and they have a lot of uh, discipline. Why wouldn't they be doing all the things that we saw times 10 to us that were happening by the Soviets? Oh, I think they were getting well started and that's what they wanted to do. And that's what they tried to do. Uh, merely probably a matter of resources, uh, for a while. Uh, they, uh, the, the Chinese, uh, uh, pushing hard in the, uh, realm of artificial intelligence and like that, uh, procedures that would help them get inside the American system. And, uh, they did it with, uh, student uh, clearances, uh, for, uh, coming to the United States and studying. They did it in all sorts, uh, of ways. And, uh, so I think you're, you're quite right. Uh, the Chinese are, uh, have been, uh, right in the middle of, of us, uh, and working hard at, uh, undermining our, our system. 
And one more question, which is I've got plenty of times, but I want to I want to ask you to walk me through your co-author. I had not realized I'm embarrassed to admit a little bit that I didn't realize he passed away just five days ago. And the, the book is out almost on the day he was uh, he was passing yeah. away. So tell us a little bit more about uh, him and what his what, uh, you, you alluded to it earlier. But tell us more about his career and what he did and what he meant in terms of being such a high level defector to the to the West. His name uh, was Ian Mihai Pachepa, P-A-C-E-P-A, and they're called Mike in uh, Romania, where uh, he was uh, from. And uh, Mike, um, his father uh, was an engineer uh, in Romania with General Electric, and so he grew up in a household that uh, had uh, values uh, really, very different from the, the communist kids uh, uh, around him. He was, uh, uh, and he's brilliant, absolutely brilliant. And I always did superbly in school and all of that. Uh, Mike um, was uh, somebody that other people trusted. And uh, he was able to operate within his circles and and in civilian society for, for 30, 40 years in one way or another, obtaining useful and valuable uh, information. Uh, his wife, uh, Mary Lou, uh, and they got married, oh, goodness, uh, 40 years ago now. Um, they uh, uh, worked and they worked together on uh, a, a number of things. I've been in their apartment in Washington, uh, not, in, not in Washington, their apartment uh, uh, out, uh, outside Washington. And I think that um, that Mike um, set, for those who knew him, um, a real example of bravery. Uh, uh, my favorite trick of his was the time he had to use all the spy techniques to elude uh, Carlos the Jackal, who was uh, under orders at that point to try to kill him. Um, but um, I, I think that um, Mike uh, uh, was a marvelous man, and uh, I, uh, I think his and uh, has a, a marvelous uh, uh, wife, and uh, they uh, they did a great deal for the country. Hmm. Very good. Well, thank you, uh, Ambassador R. James Woolsey. Uh, and the book is Operation Dragon Inside the Kremlin's Secret War in America, available anywhere you get books from Encounter Books. Uh, thanks for the time, sir, and uh, keep us informed. We'll have you on again. We appreciate it very much. Thanks, Ed. Good to be with you. All right. We'll take a break and be right back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Back in a moment. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on a Pro-America Report. Time to check in with Dr. Brett M. Decker, the New York Times bestselling author, journalist around the world, um, Wall Street Journal Asia, Washington Times editorial page editor for a while, and now a teacher, a teacher of the youth of, the, of America at Defiance College in Ohio. Dr. Decker, uh, did you see the, uh, well, uh, let me start here. Have you attended CPAC over the years? You must have been a dozen times if you've been once, have you? Oh, yeah, from time to time, you know, some I've, I've attended, spoke, I've, you know, given speeches there, been on panels, all kinds of stuff. So um, it does seem like it, it, I don't know, sometimes it's big, but um, it seems like it's lost a little of its punch. I don't know. 
Yeah, it is. I, I think I, I think even before COVID, these big conferences kind of they I don't know they sort of have you know three day conferences. It's kind of a, it, it seems like with with social media with the ability to have short videos and things people are doing feels like there's other ways to go. All right, now did you see President Trump's speech at CPAC? And uh, and if you did, did you have any thoughts? I'm sure you at least saw coverage of it. What are your thoughts on the, on his uh, his first speech uh, since being out of office? I, mean, I, I think it's interesting in that his tone is relatively the same, right? So it, it definitely seems like he's still engaged. Um, you know, what that looks like or what it leads to, I think, is a good question. You know, I saw the poll, CPAC poll out of there that 68 or 69% of attendees um, thought Trump should run again. And, like, you know, Drudge, who for some reason has been going to the left and been anti-Trump. I don't know what his deal is, but he's acting like only 69%. Well, you know, 68, 69% <laughs> yeah, exactly. is a pretty good number, you know? So, yeah. Um, yeah. And, and my guess is if you were to run, it would be 85 or 90% pretty soon when you see the other losers he'd be running against, right? Okay, let's trot out yeah. Jeb again or whatever, you know? Right, so, right, right. Um, I, yeah, you know, a little Marco, a little Marco comes out. <laughs> go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. Well, I mean, I, I mean, I think it is interesting, right, that he's gone, the election's over. He's still the talk of the town, partially because people aren't people aren't sure they don't think he really lost, right? Because if you if you really got beaten <clears> by <throat> Sleepy Joe, right, a guy who's brain dead, basically. Um, people wouldn't even be talking about you again. It'd be like, good riddance. Boy, we should have had somebody else. We would have won this one, right? If you look at, like, when H.W. Right. lost, it was all blamed on him, or, you know, Romney or McCain loser campaigns. Couldn't get rid of them fast enough because they didn't do the job to, yeah. to drive it home. Yeah, yeah. Trump, every, good point. people don't think Trump dropped the ball, so there's still a lot of enthusiasm. Uh, we're talking with Dr. Brett M. Decker, and Dr. Decker, of course, he's written books about politics in other countries. Uh, the Philippines is one I can think of, and uh, and um, uh, Dr. Decker is um, is the lack of confidence. You know, the polling shows there's tens of millions of people that don't believe the election was free and fair. Whatever the reality is, you know, I keep saying it to people, don't worry about what you think, you know, overturning the election. That's past. You know, we have a constitution that worked. But the lack of confidence, you're talking about tens of millions, could it be 50 million that say, I, I saw something that didn't comport with reality, therefore I'm not going to be a, a part of that. That's very, very dangerous because you take the the Republican voters, MAGA voters, and diminish them by tens of millions, suddenly you're going to have the Democrats and the left win everything. I, I have to say, it feels like a design that if, you know, if, if they can steal, you know, I'm not, and again, I have no proof they stole it, but if you could, if you could imagine a scenario where not only did you steal the election, but you had people go away so disenchanted, I tell people, I'm not sure in 2022 that you're going to get the MAGA voters happily running to vote for Joe Republican uh, candidate in a congressional district. I just don't know about that. Yeah, I think it, 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 there's there are several takeaways from this election. One, you know, this idea of if the election were stolen or not, I think it reflects a sort of general lack of trust in our institutions in general. So right. not being able to trust the media, not being able to trust, you know, government, looking at how the FBI was politically charged and going after people that didn't break any law. 
or you know CIA involved in the election, right? So this this general lack of trust in institutions, right? No one wants to send, no one trusts sending their kids to most universities today because they brainwash more than teach or help people learn, right? So all these institutions that are usually the kind of foundation of a country, no one trusts. So the election is involved in, in, in all of that, you know? So I think that's, that's one problem. I, you know, I think the second issue is a lot of Republicans, you know, whatever, 20, 30 years keep going, okay, well, I have to go vote for some establishment uh, Republican because it's better than the liberals. Uh, you know, I think people are starting to be like, well, is it really? You know, when when we get Supreme Court justices, Trump picked ones that the Federalist Society told him to pick, and really all of them have written some bad um, opinion already, right? So right. selling out conservatism. So I think they're like, okay, well, if even our judges, and, you know, we fought hard for them, the left tried to take them out, and we fought hard and got them in, and then within a year or two, they're stabbing uh, conservatives in the back. People are like, boy, does it really matter anymore? And I, I, I think it's very dangerous when people think that because no matter how bad squishy Republicans are, um, the left is much the the full left is much worse, right? So, um, yeah, it is, um, it is and, hard, and uh, it's so, hard to get off the base. And so- and so, um, and so, I don't think I asked you last week. I think it might have been just t- not timely. Um, so, one of the voices that was just almost—I mean, it was kind of clarion through everything because of his personality and also his uh, his history—was Limbaugh, Rush Limbaugh. And he was everyone was tuning in, and he was kind of, uh, uh, in a way, joyful or funny, entertaining—that's the word—more than only uh, uh, kind of political in his. But it, he kind of held the thing together. I, I, again, when I watched that stage with Donald Trump, I thought to myself. He is the only big voice now. He's the big leader. I'm not saying that's good, but there's no everybody else is down a very far second tier, whether the political types or the candidates. It, it just is it's a reality. And I'm not sure that's a good thing. I just think that's the real thing. And, and it increases his uh, stature. Yeah, it's, a, it's an important observation. I think there are a couple of things there. One, right, there is this vacuum. And do we have anybody to sell it? And will the system that exists today let anyone get that stature? I think that's part of it, right? If hmm. if you speak out uh. too much now, you get drummed out of wherever you are before you can kind of gain that that uh, that notoriety. And I think hmm. that's part of the part of the systematic pro- systemic problem. Well, and you certainly see that guys like Hawley and Cruz, who no matter what people think of their politics, they would be sort of rising, intelligent, solid communicators, and they're just being savaged, uh, you know. And and in the, and to me, in the same model as uh, as what what happened to Trump in his four year term was take something tangentially true or close to true and hammer it as something diabolical and terrible. Russia, 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 the Capitol insurrection hoax, whatever you pick, you, you can pick either one of those. Um, or yeah, any of them. There are, there are other ones to do there. Uh, one quick thing. We just got a minute left. Uh, when the media turns on somebody like Cuomo, because what was what is happening to Cuomo was known. They all knew this. They knew these claims. These these women didn't. I mean, is this just a signal that they're getting rid of Cuomo? I, you know, I think they decided to. I have so many people, you know, I have a lot of friends in New York and so many people have been texting me. Hey, why they suddenly turned on Cuomo? I think, one, you know, a lot of New Yorkers, a lot of liberal Democratic donors are really 
um, irritated because they left the state and now they can't sell their really expensive property. You know, tax, <laughs> right, taxes right. are so high. So you have the right. donor base that's sick of them. Who knows who lost, right? What influential people lost, a, like a, a parent or grandparent in his, uh, you know, his sort of death, uh, <laughs> death camp uh, senior home. Uh, I think the other thing, I think it's something we don't know, too, about scandals, uh, you know. I, I my instinct is that I, I, all that may be true. I think he was a convenient uh, kind of uh, a convenient foil for the COVID. They think the COVID failure of Trump, inability to stop it. He looks good now. They don't like a, they don't like him anyway. They don't need another white guy, and they got all these things. I think they just decided he they don't need competition. Kamala's uh, put the word out and and uh, put uh, Cuomo in a spot. All right, I got to run. We're running out of time. Uh, Doctor Decker, uh, thank you very much. We'll talk again next week. Uh, we'll be right back. Ed Martin here on the Pro America Report. Back in a moment. This is the Phyllis Schlafly Report, a daily commentary continuing the conservative pro-family legacy of Phyllis Schlafly. Now, here's the president of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, Ed Martin. If you have a son or daughter between the ages of 6 and 10 years old, you might have heard of Jojo Siwa. Siwa is a 17-year-old pop culture icon with a following of 54 million people across TikTok, Instagram, and YouTube. One of her music videos has nearly a billion views. To call her influential on the young minds of America would be an understatement. For this reason, parents became concerned when her message moved beyond unicorns and giant hair bows. Jojo Siwa sent shockwaves throughout the internet when she announced that she is bisexual. It would be easy to write off Siwa as another celebrity endorsing LGBT, but we shouldn't make that mistake. As one article on CNN.com put it, there's no precedent for what JoJo did. No star of her caliber at her age, whose audience is made up of mostly elementary schoolers, has come out so publicly. For once, CNN got it right. Siwa embracing bisexuality is something every parent needs to be aware of. In an Instagram video talking about her sexuality, Siwa told your son or your daughter that if something makes you happy, just enjoy it. Don't think too much. That's advice she has for children? Embrace the LGBT agenda? Just don't think about it too much? This malicious message should serve as a warning to parents everywhere. The left is targeting your young children with their dogma. They wrap their talking points in big smiles and words of empowerment, but they want to enslave the next generation to a lifestyle that deprives them of all the joys traditional marriage can bring. If you're a parent of young children, be aware of what your kids are watching, listening to, and following on social media. Just because content looks child-oriented, that does not mean there isn't a hidden agenda of perverse sexuality just beneath the surface. Don't wait for the culture to corrupt with the messages of, don't think too much. Make your family a shining example of the love and joy and stability that comes with the traditional family. Your children may be watching Jojo Siwa, but they're watching you first and foremost. This has been the Phyllis Schlafly Report from Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. The traditional family is the building block of our communities and country. That's why it's imperative to support strong marriages, respect fathers, and champion stay-at-home moms. At phyllisschlafly.com, we oppose the liberal attempt to redefine the family. To join us, visit phyllisschlafly.com. Thanks for listening, and join us again next time for the Phyllis Schlafly Report.
Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Great to be back. And I want to finish up. Those are great interviews, uh, by the way. And you should go over to ProAmericaReport.com and check those out. I've got the interviews all archived over there. Sign up for the Daily Wink. And again, Ed Martin's Pro-America Report over at ProAmericaReport.com. Email me directly, editedmartinlive.com. Okay, let me, um, I want to finish with uh, something. It's going to be a little bit of a story here. Let me walk you through this. Um, we've been celebrating and talking about Rush Limbaugh and his incredible success and his life and his family, which I knew very well uh, as a St. Louis. And I knew the Limbaugh's a bunch of a number of the Limbaugh's lived in St. Louis and worked there were judges and lawyers. And I also knew Limbaugh's uh, family down in, in uh, Cape Girardeau, especially David Limbaugh, Rush's brother. But, um, you know, one of the things is a funny story. When I moved to St. Louis, I was going to go to law school and I'd never been to St. Louis in my whole life. And I arrived to go to law school and I didn't know anyone. I didn't have a car. I didn't know anyone. And I used to walk to school to go to the school and I'd walk to church. And first weekend I was there, I took the subway, the, the, the metro downtown to go to the Cardinals baseball game. It was a Sunday night game on ESPN. It was uh, the Cardinals versus the Braves. There's another story I'll tell you sometime about that. It was pretty great. I flashed a, a press credential from my time overseas and I went in the press box. I uh, talked to uh, Lefty Carlton and uh, Bob Costas and others. And even on my first Cardinals baseball game in Old Bush Stadium, Ended up in the players' locker room after the game, uh, talking with the other journalists and the other reporters. It was something. But anyway, so I didn't know anyone. I had no car. And, but, and I soon, I bought a car, I don't know, six months in, I saved up. And uh, what I, what I, one thing I learned, St. Louis is a historic city, and I had this affection, and I found a website called findagrave.com. Now, before you think it sounds too weird, uh, it's a website that has every grave site in America in a searchable database. I mean, I, be, I guess I got to do more clarifying to say I'm not weird there, but it's wonderful for history. And so in St. Louis, there are these incredible historic cemeteries. Uh, one of them is Calvary. Uh, another one is Belfontaine, Belfontaine Cemetery, and there's a couple other ones. There's an old, old Jewish cemetery, and and I, I was fascinated by this because these cemeteries are basically uh, well. There's lots of reasons. I, I there's a, a sort of philosophical, theological reason. It's dust to dust, and we'll all end up uh, uh, you know under <laughs> underground at some point, and so we have some perspective, and, and there's that part of it, but also the history, and so you can go in St. Louis, for example, to Belfontaine uh, Cemetery, and you'll find that. That uh, Clark is there of Lewis and Clark, and uh, and also uh, senators all the time. Thomas Hart Benton, the famous uh, uh, one there. And you walk through this thing. I was walking through uh, uh, one of these uh, cemeteries once, and because um, I wanted to go see, I think it was Clark at the time. I had read uh, the Undaunted Courage, Lewis and Clark, an incredible book by McCulloch, David McCulloch, and I was kind of wonder, fascinated by these guys. And, uh, and I stumbled upon the, uh, the Bush family, the Anheuser Bush family. That's an old family. Anheuser and Bush came together about 130 years ago, 120 years ago, to, and they formed this brewery. And later it became Anheuser Bush and so famous, uh, Budweiser. But anyway, it's, a, it's a wonderful aspect of communities to see their cemeteries. And, and, you know, one, uh, side note, I digress down again. I'm sorry. It's digression. I, it's a digression, uh, segment here. Um, 
I went after college, I went over to Indonesia. Many of you know that. Spent a year there on a research fellowship. And, and my research fellowship was focused on water supply, which is why I talk a lot about that and the, the importance of it and importance of clean water. But my a colleague who got a different research uh, a grant, he went to Cairo and he spent a year studying the city of the dead, which is a city built within a cemetery. And it's extraordinary. Uh, uh, kind of all over across the world, historically, you'll get places like the catacombs in Rome, uh, which are extraordinary to visit. Same thing in Paris and all these ancient cities, the cities that are around for a thousand years or more. They have all these. This is a question of where you put your dead is a big one. But anyway, back to this um Rush Limbaugh was buried at Bellefontaine Cemetery, which was wonderful in a way. I thought he might be buried in Cape Girardeau, but he was buried up in St. Louis. And it's one of the historic cemeteries that has a sort of connection to uh, history. In fact, uh, Bates, uh, the, one of the, um, the, the secretaries of uh, under the, in the Clint, uh, Clinton, oh my gosh, the Lincoln cabinet uh, is buried there. There's just great history of all these important people buried in this uh, incredible cemetery. So it was wonderful to see that. Now, now, my segue here is I keep getting people that are telling, asking me, what happens when, when now that Rush Limbaugh is gone in terms of his voice? And I've been describing to people that you can't replace Johnny Carson with another Johnny Carson. You can't replace uh, Rush Limbaugh with another Rush Limbaugh. And in fact... Rush Limbaugh's mastery of communicating and building a community was that he did it over decades, and especially in the first decade, he wrote books, and he went out on the rubber chicken circuit. You've heard me say this. He went out 40, 50 weekends a year. He'd do the radio show on Friday, go out on uh, on Friday night, he'd be in uh, Tulsa, or he'd be in Sacramento, or he'd be in St. Louis, and he'd speak to the ditto heads. He was also writing books then, and he was communicating. He built a community, and what the next Rush Limbaugh is going to do do is build a community that has all the affection and fun and the joy, which is what Limbaugh, Rush Limbaugh had, all the joy, even though he's talking politics a ton all the time, uh, all the joy and also because it's a different era, all the new tools, maybe the new Rush Limbaugh is going to write more books. Maybe they're going to do more uh, more events if he break through the covid. Maybe I bet you there'll be podcasts. There'll be more video creation. You know, you're going to have a communication uh, a, a series of communications happening through multimedia. And, you know, Rush was the first to admit his TV show didn't take off. He wasn't as good at that. He wasn't as good at that as radio. Radio is distinct. So who knows what the next uh, next Rush Limbaugh, he or she will be. But here's what I will tell you. There is a hunger for what he taught. There was a hunger for the joy and humor he brought. And I think you're going to see people just like Jay Leno succeeded, even though he's very different. I think you're going to see great success uh, for the successor of Rush Limbaugh because the community that loved Rush is going to be willing to come together and stay together in some sense. So that's my thought. But uh, congratulations on the Limbaugh family. Uh, wonderful ceremony uh, for Rush Limbaugh's burial in a really historic place. So, all right, we got to run. Thank you, as always, to Noah, our technical director, Joanna, for booking our guests, and you for listening. We'll be back tomorrow. It's Ed Martin here in the Pro-America Report. Talk to you then. This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer San Diego.